Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. I'd like to say thank you to this episode's sponsor, Supernight. Supernight offers LED light strips to illuminate under walls, panels, cabinets, etc. I put one behind my dry erase board and it looks amazing. There's a plethora of colors to choose from and you can find out more at supernight.cc. That's supernight.cc and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Nate Checkets, CEO and co-founder of Roan, a men's performance lifestyle brand. Prior to Roan, Nate worked for and consulted with some of the biggest technology and entertainment companies in the world, including the NFL. Listen as we talk about Nate's upbringing, his previous work experience, and the development of Roan as it is today. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Nate Checkets of Roan. Nate, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Cameron. I'm excited to, to speak. Yeah, so... I want to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, uh, it's, I mean, depending on the level of detail you want from me, <laughs> I grew up mostly in uh, Connecticut in, yep. uh, in an area called Fairfield County, which is, you know, about 45 minutes outside of Manhattan. The, the vast majority of the workforce in our area works actually in Manhattan, commutes in. Um, I was I was born in Boston and and did kind of five years in Salt Lake City when my dad took a job out there um, before we moved to Connecticut and and that's where I went to uh, to high school grew up in a in a great family um, six kids uh, in our family and um, and two amazing parents. Awesome. So did you have an entrepreneurship mindset growing up? Did you ever say a lemonade stand or sell any products as a kid? <laughs> yeah, I did. In fact, my parents like to joke that I was always hawking something um, because, uh, you know, I, we, I remember we got to go to a Yankees baseball game and I, I got a ball with my brother. And before we ended up leaving, he and I had, had struck a deal with uh, the guy next to us to sell it before my dad immediately came and pulled us and said, you may, you absolutely may not sell that ball. Um, and, uh, and we, we started a lemonade stand at the end of our street when we moved in Connecticut. And you have to understand, you know, my family had, had just moved from Salt Lake city, Utah, six kids, uh, you know, to, to fit in with the prim and proper area that we had moved in to say the least was, you know, was, was, was a challenge. And, um, and so, you know, I think in an effort to get us out of the house, my, my mom let us take our, our wagon. We went down to the edge of the street, we set up and, um, and had like a banner lemonade sales day, um, because we realized that this, this house at the edge of the street was having a party there. So, um, we were, you know, we, we were, we were selling lemonade and my mom said, you know, what happened? We said, we made like $70 selling lemonade today and i was like what and we said yeah we think there was a wedding going on um <laughs> at the end of the street and my mom was like you did what you sold lemonade at the wedding we were like yeah there were a lot of people there <laughs> um and it's even it's even worse than that because uh you know the next day we we went back like as if there was going to be another wedding um reception and it turns out it was not a wedding reception that we had been selling lemonade to, it was actually this woman's uh, husband had passed away and it was her, it was his wake. 
Oh, so no. it was so, Man. so we got in a lot of trouble. Um, and, uh, and yeah, learned, learned a lot of experiences at a young age from an entrepreneurship standpoint. That's so interesting. So that first day selling, you were not aware at all. No one really said anything at the booth or how did no, they were just, I think they, I think they were amused. I mean, we were really young yeah. um, and, uh, and I think they were just amused by it. And, you know, it's a, it's a very nice, uh, great area, but, um, yeah, we didn't, you know, as, as a eight or nine year old, you're not kind of fully aware <laughs> why people are dressed up or why they're getting together. You just know that they might be thirsty and have money in their pockets. So for sure. Wow. That's so crazy. So I saw you went to BYU in 2004. What did you study there? I was a finance major with an emphasis in entrepreneurship. Um, BYU okay. has a great entrepreneurship program, and it's certainly developed since I left. But, um, but yeah, that was my focus. And then what was your experience like at BYU? Were you part of any clubs, athletics, et cetera? Yeah, I, I had a great time there, you know, um, because of my major, I spent a lot of time in the, in the Marriott Business School. Um, and I, uh, I joined a, a couple of clubs there. I was, I, I thought at one point that I might want to go into investment banking before I realized exactly what that was. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, did, had, had a great experience. I also got married in college, um, as many okay. people at BYU do. So, um, found, uh, found my beautiful wife there and we've been married 15 plus years now. So, wow. um, so, but but yeah, I mean, I, I had a great experience. I, I did, I did not play, um, sports for, for BYU, but I did a lot of intramural sports. Okay. Gotcha. And then you said you had an emphasis of entrepreneurship and a couple other guests I've had on, they talk about some renowned entrepreneurship projects they have that maybe influenced where they're at now. Did you have any projects at BYU with an entrepreneurship program? Maybe that you recall on that inspired you to create Rome? Yeah, I, well, I don't know that I would say inspired me to create Rome, but you know, I, again, I didn't really know what entrepreneurship was, but I, yeah. but I was attracted to it as I as I got to know more and more about it because I was always building things. You know, after the lemonade stand incident, we ended up starting a, a summer camp in my parents' backyard that ended up running for eight years. My two brothers ran it after me, um, and we were getting you know forty to fifty kids a week teaching them how to play sports. Um, and it was a great way of creating summer income that, you know, sure. made mowing lawns pale in comparison. And so when I found entrepreneurship, kind of started to understand, I was like, maybe, maybe this is for me. Maybe this is what I want to do. And there was a business plan competition at the school uh, that I think was in, you know, maybe it's third or fourth year and has become an even bigger deal since. Um, but real companies have launched out of this business plan competition. So I decided to enter it with like two days until the in, oh, wow. until the deadline. Um, and so wrote this business plan, ended up making it into the next round. We ended up making it into the um, state finals of the business plan competition wow. and um, and raised some early angel money to uh, to to kind of kick the project off. And, and what it was is it was, you know, we had, to, we had this thesis that people were using their phones for everything. This was back in 2007. Okay. So the iPhone was just coming out, hadn't come out yet. 
but SMS was, you know, kind of all the rage. We were like, you could order food from your favorite restaurant, and have it ready to be picked up without having to call or interact with someone, which now sounds so laughable, but at the time was like revolutionary. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the other interesting thing about it is, um, you know, the, the people who were evaluating our business idea were so much older and didn't understand kind of the pace at which technology was evolving. They have sure. all these concerns about, you know, payment processing and we'd, we, we had kind of figured it out. So the, that business ended up launching and um, we pivoted into kind of focusing on sports stadiums and arenas and we, we sold the business to the 49ers um, three years wow. later. Uh, and, and the IP that we developed and uh, got patents around is still used in, um, if you go to Levi Stadium and, and you know, they've brought the technology to other arenas. You can order food right from your seat, have it, you know, available for pickup or delivery. Um, and so it was a, you know, it was a, it was a great experience. For sure, man. That, yeah, that sounds like such an amazing experience. So uh, following college prior to Roan then, what were some of the jobs that you were working at this time? Well, it was, um, I, I, when I, when I got to college, um, you know, in our faith, uh, we, uh, many, many men uh, and women choose to serve two-year missions for our church. And so I was, I was fortunate to be able to do that. And I was called to serve in Rome, Italy, which, uh, you know, is not, is not exactly the easiest place to spread, um, you know, what others might call Mormonism, but, you know, the belief in our church and, you know, kind of our faith. And so that was quite the experience of knocking on so many doors and, and meeting people and, you know, getting to know and understand how to teach people and how to deliver messages effectively. Sure. Um, and I had a wonderful experience there. But then when I came back, um, I took a job at, uh, at what's called the Missionary Training Center. And um, I taught Italian to incoming missionaries who were about to go out. So um, I had become fluent um, on my mission. And, uh, so, so got a chance to teach them about what they were going to go out and teach mm. and, uh, and also teach them, uh, the language. And I did that for two years and that's, you know, that helps my wife and I, uh, make it through college. She worked at, um, she worked at uh, a bank there called Zion's bank. And yeah. I worked at the missionary training center and we both went to school and it was a, it was a great experience. Awesome. And then Roan, came around in 2014. So what was the inspiration behind creating Roan? Also get into clothing specifically? Well, you know, there's, there's a, there's a mid period that I'll explain uh, yeah. and how that path happened. But, you know, really I, so after the, the company that we sold to the 49ers was called Manja, okay. um, which is the Italian word of uh, verb command to eat. So that's, you know, that you can kind of understand the connection there because my affection for uh, the Italian language. So um, after we sold that, I started, I realized, you know, I had passed up on a, on a pretty attractive consulting job fresh out of college to get this company up and running. And um, I realized I knew, I knew sports and I knew technology. And so I started um, consulting in that area. I did some interesting projects for the Miami Dolphins um, and uh, the related sports group. Um, and it led me to an inter interview at the NFL. And oh. I was actually hired at the NFL to um, 
run the sponsorship strategy for new business development. Okay. What that means is that, you know, anytime the league is going out to get a new partner, we would, uh, you know, we would, we would do all this strategy work. And so that's where I focus my time and in particular focus on the technology category. And, um, and while I was at the NFL, I realized, man alive, you know, I, I felt guilty, I guess is the best way to explain it. Cause I had this great job. Um, all of my friends were like, wow, it's the coolest place that you could ever work. The NFL's football was my favorite sport growing up. Still is my favorite sport. And I didn't love it. Uh, and I couldn't figure out why. And it was probably like three to four months in that I was like, huh, maybe I'm just not meant to work at a big company. Maybe like, you know, startup and and entrepreneurship has a way of almost like ruining you. You become unhirable at other places because, uh, you know, you get that, you get that thrill of starting something on your own. It's, it's, for me, it's indescribable. I can't fully put it into words, but that is like, that's my love language, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's the roller coaster of the highs and the lows. Like one day you feel like you're about to take over the world and the next day you're not going to be able to make payroll. And, um, and, and then when you go into a corporate job, you go from this roller coaster of emotions, the ups and the downs to everything feels like a kiddie ride. And, yeah. you know, not that it's not hard or challenging. It's just like, nothing feels that bad and nothing feels that good. You don't get that excited about anything. Totally. And, um, and so, so that was really hard for me. And, and as soon as I realized that I, I, I was riding a train into work cause I commuted and I remember writing in my journal, like I, I know, I know that I'm an entrepreneur. That's, that's what I want to do. Um, and I want to go and build a brand that matters. Um, and I remember underneath that, you know, building a brand that matters, I wrote, that doesn't mean cure cancer. Um, you know, yeah. for me, it meant building a brand that could have a positive impact on the world. And I didn't know if that meant I was going to be manufacturing, uh, you know, soap or, uh, you know, certainly didn't think at the time that it, it meant making clothing, but I, I did know that I wanted to do something meaningful. And, um, and so really over the next year, I just, I was, I was open-minded about things. I had so many conversations. I was always, you know, if I saw something interesting, I would reach out to people. I'd have conversations. I mean, half of my, half of my job was just like entertaining my ADD on, uh, I, I need to be prepared for when I go out and do something else. Yeah. And, um, and the idea for Roan was not mine. It, it's, uh, it was my brother-in-law's. We were, um, we were all together as a family for Christmas. And my, uh, as I said, there's six kids in my family and my older sister's, uh, husband, um, you know, was over and we all got, we, we my mom would always give Christmas pajamas, but this particular, Christmas, she gave us all a pair of sweatpants and, okay. um, and she gave us all a pair of Lululemon sweatpants. And I, now I was familiar with Lululemon at the time. This was probably 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, but I, but I, you know, I didn't, I, so I was familiar with the brand, but not, I never tried any of their product. I didn't even know that they made men's product. Yeah. And, um, 
I was like, great, thanks, mom. And my brother-in-law was like, whoa, wait a minute, you can't wear that. And I was like, <laughs> I was like why not? It's a pair of sweatpants. He's like, look at the logo, look at the packaging. You know, like this is clearly a women's yoga brand. And I, you know, I was less bothered by that. So then I went into work at the NFL. Um, and I think it was like a month or two later uh, that um, that uh, Budweiser, which was a big sponsor of the league, sent a package of Lululemon products for some of the women in the office. And they opened it up and they started going through it. And I was like, oh, I've got some uh, Lululemon sweatpants. <laughs> and it was like such a record scratching moment. You have to understand that at the time, Lululemon was 92% women's. So they did very little men's. They were, you know, they were yeah. known as a women's brand. The scandal was coming out about the fact that Chip Wilson had said that, you know, that they had all these sheer leggings, which meant that you could see through them. Mm. And Chip Wilson had come out and said, well, the reason for that is because women are wearing the wrong size. They need to, you know, they, they need to size up and their, you know, their legs are, are stretching the fabric too much. And it was a big controversy. So it was very much at the forefront of kind of like, um, I, I don't know, pop culture and, you know, women doing yoga. And here I am in this male dominated environment. And I just admitted that I have a pair of their pants. Um, and uh, my coworker next to me said, Nate, do you buy your underwear at Victoria's Secret? And I was oh, like, no. all right, come on. Like, that's not fair. And, uh, and so I called my brother-in-law up and I was like, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. Like, clearly you're not the only one that feels this way. And he was like, we should start a brand that is you know, that is focused on the men's market, but uses premium fabrication because most of the men's market is serviced by providers who their primary method of distribution is wholesale. He was an analyst in the retail sector. Okay. And, um, and you know, that idea started kind of ruminating in my mind. And, and as I spent more time on it, I thought, okay, there's clearly a market opportunity here. We, we mapped out all of the existing players in the performance active space. And there were over 200 female focused premium brands. And um, the majority of the men's product was being sold by brands that were lower priced, um, lower quality, and um, you know, all within a similar gender mix, which was like maybe 55 to 60% male. Yeah. But there was no pure play, 100% men's focus, premium active brand. It just didn't exist. We couldn't find one. And the ones that we did find were like focused on cycling or triathlons or, you know, and, and so we, we, we thought people's wardrobes are changing. They're going to be more active focused, more performance focused, and people are going to want better quality in a world where sustainability should be important. And it's not just about mass consumption, but it's about buying things that actually last. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, as we, as we thought about all of those different points, it became apparent, like this is, this is a good idea, but I still, you know, I wasn't excited about going and building a, a men's Lululemon that just didn't get me excited. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't want to do that. But what stood out for me is I remember coming home and, um, I have three boys, okay. uh, and, um, you know, uh, we had we had two at the time, and my wife was uh, was ex I don't think she was expecting our third yet. So we just had our two boys, and I remember thinking about 
my goodness, men are at a really interesting point in culture right now, right? Mm-hmm. Where, um, you know, where we really need to wake up and, um, and, and do better. Uh, we just need to be better. And yeah. you know, the, this, uh, I was, I, I am a big proponent of, of, of equal gender rights and, and, you know, and, and fighting the, uh, gender pay gap. Um, sure. and I also thought about the negative repercussions to young boys who are growing up in this era, you know, and they're hearing the future is female, you know, it's, it's, it's take your daughter to work day. Um, and so how, how can we speak in a balanced approach about not just what not to do, but what to do, how to be, you know, how, that it's okay to be a man and to be a man of principle who stands up and fights for feminism and, um, and, you know, fights for equal rights. And I didn't feel like there was a brand that ever spoke to me that encouraged me to be a better father or a better husband or more active in my community. It was all about lift, you know, lift more weights, run faster, um, you know, sweat longer. And I had realized I wasn't going to be a professional athlete probably when I was 13 or 14. So like, while I enjoy getting out and sweating and I, you know, I'm still active, um, you know, I'm still very active, but like most of my day is oriented around trying to be the best, you know, best person I could be. I wanted a brand that spoke to that. And so as soon as I felt that, that alignment with what we could do from a brand voice perspective and what I was really, really passionate about, plus a market opportunity, that's how Roan really came to be. Gotcha. And then what does the name Roan come from then? Did you have this name when you started as well? We didn't. No, in fact, for for a long time, uh, we just called it Nuco. Uh, It was kind of a joke because... You know, what I learned in my first company, uh, it's that there are a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs now. At the time, I didn't feel like that was like, uh, wow, I'm really lucky to be an entrepreneur. It was like, I feel like I don't have a choice. This is what I have to do. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm going to be crazy. Um, But, you know, people spend and waste, and I I did too in my first company, so much time thinking about the name and thinking about the logo and thinking about their business cards and thinking about what their title should be. And I wanted to make sure that I wasted not, I, I didn't have the luxury of wasting time on that because I couldn't quit my full-time job at the NFL to get this started. I had a two hour commute, one hour each way. And I had two little kids at home that I needed to be present for. So I wasn't going to waste I, like entrepreneurship at its heart should be really simple and it's about two things can you make a great product and can you sell that product and that's kind of it um and so that's what i focused all my energy and attention on and when it came to do a name we had a brainstorming session that you know consists of throwing a bunch of names on a whiteboard and figuring out which ones we could get domains for and you know all that and and we we fell in love with the name Ronan. and it served us really well but you know it, it was it was um it was not one that like was predestined, I don't think. Yeah, for sure. So starting out with Roan, um, what did you attack for product-wise? What were some of your first prototypes? And were, say, were you specializing in shirts, etc.? So what were some of your first products? Yeah, I mean, really, we were hyper-focused on creating the absolute best product. 
that was mm -hmm. going to be anti-odor. So we spent okay. a lot of time on fabric. And still to this day, I don't think there's anybody in, in our category that's close to us. We pioneered a technology called Gold Fusion that is after 100 washes is 99% effective still at treating um, odor. And, uh, and you know, to put that in comparison, most active brands are somewhere between 15 to 20 washes. And after 20 washes, you know, you're lucky if you're at 50% efficacy rate in fighting odor. So, yeah. um, so we, we spent a lot of time on that. And, uh, and so our initial run is we had a short sleeve tee, a long sleeve tee, a tank, a short and a pant. And um, of those products, none of them are still in our mix because they've all gotten so much better. I, I you know, I, as we've talked to investors, they were like, well, we, you know, we think you need to slow your development of product. You're developing product too fast. I was like, I, we're not, we're not going to change that because we think innovation is what keeps us fresh. And as soon as we find a better way of doing something, we're going to do it that way. So, you know, it gets tricky from an inventory standpoint sometimes, but we're just not willing to, to cut corners on the quality of the product that we make. So that's how we got off the ground. Gotcha. And I heard you just mentioned investors. Did you acquire funding from the start, say, for production or was this back from your full time job or how did that look? So my my brother-in-law, who's uh, my co-founder and I, we put in kind of some initial capital to to, to make the prototypes and mm -hmm. everything else and and also do our first photo shoot. But when it came to doing our first production run, you know, Kickstarter was a thing then, but for the sure. idea of launching an apparel company on Kickstarter, you know, admittedly just didn't cross my mind. Um, and there have been some that have been very successful that way. I wish I would have been that. Um, I wish I would have been that uh, forward thinking, but we weren't. So we went out and raised friends and family money, um, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars just to get our first production run off the ground and, you know, build the website and, and get some of the initial kind of marketing materials uh, out. And then, you know, from there I have been able to raise uh, some, some rounds of capital pretty successfully. And we're now backed by L Catterton, which is the largest consumer private equity fund. Okay. Awesome. Once established, how did you guys begin to market then say pitch to your first customers, which might've been family, but did you utilize social media and what other aspects? Yeah, well we did. I mean, if you can think about all the mistakes you could possibly make, I think we made all of them. Um, yeah. But the one thing we did know is we knew how to talk to people and how to create conversation. And so, you know, we had these little um, note cards that that we called pass along cards and we would challenge our, each other to like give out as many as possible. Um, and uh, and we had started to collect emails, you know, pre-launch um, with kind of like a like a, a base site that would collect email saying something is coming. And so it was email marketing and it was word of mouth. And that was it um, really for the yeah. first six to eight months. Uh, we had a social media presence, but it was small, if anything. Um, you know, social media at the time was not the giant that it is today. For sure. um, so, you know, I, I think most of the customers were acquired organically and by word of mouth. Gotcha. And then I looked at the website and saw that you guys added some of this dress category. So I, I was wondering what made you add the business casual side to Rome, starting out as a more fitness side? 
Well, really, you know, that had always been somewhat in the DNA of what we were trying to build, which is, you know, if you think about how our life has changed and evolved as a society, even just over the last 10 years, you know, more and more people are biking to work or walking mm -hmm. to work or, you know, just being active in general. And um, there's a growing acceptance for the casualization of what's happened, um, you know, in the workplace. So for sure. You know, very few workplaces are uh, requiring a, a dress shirt um, uh, to, to work or, you know, kind of the casual Fridays have bleeded into casual Monday through Thursdays. Yeah. And, um, and, and so we thought as this casualization process started to happen, that there would be a real opportunity to make, you know, the most comfortable um, work clothes possible because people were going to start requiring that level of comfort in all aspects of their life. And truthfully, the pandemic has just accelerated that, oh, right? Sure. Like, yeah. You know, can you imagine if we had all started our careers this way and it's like, you know, then two years, three years in, it's like, all right, now you're going to come to the office five days a week and you're going to be required to wear stiff woven dress shirts <laughs> or starchy and like, you know, these, these stiff, um, scratchy pants, we'd all be like, no, you can't pay me enough money to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I, I don't think we're going back. And I, I, you know, I think if people do want to look professional, um, but they want to feel the comfort of, of, you know, of that COVID lifestyle, uh, I would challenge anyone to put our dress shirt against anybody else's. It's the most comfortable thing I, I think we make. Yeah. love it. So looking at Roan today, what would you say separates you from your competitors then? I think it's really a, you know, an absolute maniacal focus on fabric quality. Yeah. Um, you know, we are crazy about it. And, you know, our, our third co-founder, Kyle, who uh, runs our product team, you know, he will test everything. When we developed the dress shirt fabric, he took it on a 12 mile mountain run in, <laughs> in Croatia. And so, you know, we test, we, we, we test like, you know, crazy, we put it through extreme circumstances. So, and it's a willingness to invest in fabric quality where others might, you know, use it as an opportunity to boost margin. Mm -hmm. We really just focus on making the best product and getting an acceptable margin um, to be able to sell it. So I think that's what's been really cool. And, you know, we've, we've had some really great wins. We've become, um, the number one men's brand for Peloton and, uh, and for wow. Equinox. And, um, and, you know, we certainly have, uh, have, have grown our presence in other wholesale stores. Like we have a great business with Nordstrom, but the bulk of our sales, you know, 80 plus percent is through our own website. So yeah. we have a ruthless focus on, on data and getting to know our customers and building our cohorts um, that way. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's, um, it's a lot of little things, I think, that I think we do really well. For sure. Get into your products now. What would you say are some of your top sellers? Well, it's, you know, it's certainly the kind of our heritage products that we launched with, um, you know, our active, uh, our active products. And then, you know, the commuter uh, or kind of dressier line that you referenced, what we call our commuter pants and our commuter dress shirts. Were, were some of our best-selling products pre-pandemic. They've slowed a little bit, but they're doing well. And then, you know, our underwear is, um, we haven't spent enough time on that category, but we get 
like rave reviews against all of these other underwear startups. Um, you know, people people swear by by our underwear. So um, you know, we we've, we've uh, it depends on the category. It depends on the you know the person, and it depends on the distribution channel. But you know, those were the ones that stick out to me. Gotcha. And then I, you mentioned around eighty percent of your customers come to your website. So where else can Roan be found? Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly in uh, like you know premium um, retail stores like Nordstrom um, okay. and others, and then we have uh, five retail stores, four of which are in New York City, which has been interesting to navigate with the pandemic. But all of them are yeah. open. Uh, the awesome. fifth one will our, our fifth store and fourth store in New York will be opening um, in the in the coming months, which we're really really excited about. And, uh, and, and so those, those would be the other places. Awesome. And then I have this question on specs of your own position. So with Roan, where it's at today, what are some of your main roles as CEO, say day-to-day processes? Like what does an average day look like for you? (laughs) Yeah, I wish there was, maybe, maybe I don't because I think I'd get bored. They're really an average day. You know, I think that, but the, my main focus is on, is on the team and on our strategy. So, you know, I focus a lot of my energy on, um, you know, uh, making sure the team and the culture is great because it's almost as if when you start a business, it's, you know, you're a player on the field. And when you bring in a couple of people, you're like a player coach, you're on the field, but you're also, you know, kind of coaching everyone. And then it's like you're a position coach and then an assistant coach. And by the, you know, by the end, you know, as a head coach, you're not really calling the plays even you're making sure your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator and quarterback and tight end coach and offensive line coach are really well positioned to be successful and, and, you know, create the best team dynamic and you're setting the tone and setting, you know, setting the strategy. And so that's where I think of, you know, how my role has evolved and um, mm-hmm. I've loved every stage of the journey. I, you know, I don't know that I would trade one for the other, but for um, sure really where I spend my time now. Gotcha. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned along your way or regret, what would that be? Just anything. Gosh, it's, it's hard because I Mm. think, you know, the, the one piece of advice I often give when I speak, um, to kind of college age students is, you know, embrace your own ignorance because, uh, you know, it's so easy to believe, uh, I wish I knew as much as so-and-so did, or I, you know, I wish I had the level of experience that so-and-so did and that would help. But the truth is, is you have a real unique advantage in not knowing and you're yeah. not knowing can lead to great questions. And those great questions can lead you to seeing things in a way differently than people who are entrenched in a knowledge or experience base just simply cannot see by virtue of their own experience or knowledge. Sure. And, um, and so, you know, I think, I think don't be, don't be afraid, um, of what you don't know and really embrace that and, uh, and ask a lot of questions. Yeah, for sure. Nate, thank you so much for joining me and to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Roan at Roan.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of starting small. If you would leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.